Thank you. Well, it's great to see you all out here um, on this great Sunday. Welcome to everybody who's watching online. Um, so we, I think all of us have one of these probably, right? Uh, as we found out last week, Natalie taught us how to actually use it to do this QR code thing. But it is called a cell phone, <laughs> right? It's so interesting to me that they are called cell phones still because hardly anybody ever talks on them anymore. <laughs> Um, mostly, especially the younger generation. So I have three kids. I have a daughter, Julia, who's 26, another daughter, Sarah, who's 24, and Matthew, who's almost 22. And um, I don't know if this has happened to any of you other parents out there, but uh, I don't know, last year or so, I called my son once, and he didn't answer. And, um, and then, like, uh, moments later, I get a text. Why are you calling me? <laughs> Because I want to talk to you and I pay your cell phone bill, okay? <laughs> but it's like, it's so funny that we actually still call them phones because hardly anybody ever talks. It's all about getting messages. This is a message receiving machine. Whether it's a text message, an email message, many of us probably get our, our news report on here. Um, if you have Instagram or if you have uh, Facebook or TikTok or any of those other things, you're constantly getting messages onto your phone. And it is just a receiver of everything that is out there. And between this and maybe what we watch on television or what we hear or the billboards we drive by, each one of us every day gets thousands and thousands of messages sent to us. And most of those messages are not great news, honestly. And if we were to think about this for a moment, the messages that the culture speaks into us through our phones, through whatever we might get, say this to us. You should be afraid and anxious. And this happens especially maybe in our political times where the either side, both sides try to paint the other as being really scary. And you should be super anxious and afraid of what's happening out there. The other messages that we get is that, uh, you know what? You are not good enough. Either you don't look good enough, you're not smart enough. You don't have the best job or whatever it might be. But those are messages that we consistently hear. And the other message we hear is that you need more stuff. <laughs> Whether it's a new house, a new car, better jewelry, whatever it might be, a new phone, right, all the time, you need more stuff. And these are the messages that you and I are hearing each and every day. And what I love about this series that we're going through called City of Angels is this, that one of the main descriptions of an angel is that they are messengers from God. That angels are God's messengers. Both the Hebrew and Greek words that are often translated angel and other places in the scripture are actually translated as a messenger. It's one of the great and best qualities that an angel has. And so I'm going to build off what uh, Chris talked about last week and, and talk a little bit more about what, it, what is the message that the angels are sharing with us. So last week, Chris used Luke chapter 1, verse 19. It was the section where Zechariah, the priest, had gone into the temple and he sees an angel 
and he is not really sure that he can believe what the angel says to him. But then in verse 19, he says this. It says that the angel answered, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. I love that picture. I love that picture of Gabriel the angel standing in the presence of God. And that's where he gets his information that he is supposed to pass on. And the information that he passes on is good news. As opposed to the bad news we hear all the time, he has good news. The Greek word that's used there is elangeoso, uh, which we get the word evangelical or evangelist. It means to tell the good news. And so I got to thinking, what is the good news that Zechariah was told that day? What is it that the angel spoke to him that was, that was good news? And, and earlier in the interaction with the angel, the angel says this to him. He says, Zechariah, your prayer has been answered. That is good news, right? That, that good news, part of this good news is this, that God hears you, that God sees you, God feels what you are going through. And when we speak to him, when we cry out to him, the good news about who God is, is that he hears us. He sees us. I was talking to a friend recently and he was, said that somebody else was trying to explain how the world worked. And they said that it's kind of like it's a large aquarium that's just filled with a bunch of people and God's on the outside looking in at us. And that's called deism which says that God created the world and just stood back and lets us go on. No, you know what we believe? That God is right there in with us. And the good news is that God hears you, he sees you, and he feels for you. And the other good news we get from these angel, the messengers, these angels, is that they reveal the heart of God for his people that they have been in the presence of God and they cannot help themselves but tell others about who this God is. They cannot help themselves from revealing the heart of God to God's people because they've been in his presence. This is what this good news is always about. So I'm gonna take a little bit of a risk here and I know it's the first time I've preached here at, at Hope City Church. It might be the last because... <laughs> Because I am going to preach about Sodom and Gomorrah. But there is good news there if you stick with me for a bit. So it all starts off in Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, uh, Abraham and Sarah are uh, together up on a mountain over the uh, plains of Canaan. They're sitting in their tent and all of a sudden three mysterious visitors show up. And they know that this is something, these are interesting folks, they know there's something spiritual going on here. Abraham runs out, he falls down below them and he says, will you guys please stay for lunch? They go, okay, we'll stay. So he goes into Sarah and he says, Sarah, make some bread really quickly, a lot of it, okay? And he goes off and he gets a calf and it's prepared for lunch. And they bring the meal together and they eat this meal together. And while Abraham is having meal with the, a meal with these three men, 
the Lord, one of them is the Lord, says, um, you know what? A year from now, uh, you and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah's in the tent kind of listening, and she laughs. <laughs> Are you serious? Because, look, Abraham's really old, and then she says about herself, and I'm worn out, and now I'm going to have a kid? And I can get it a little bit, because I was a little older when we started having kids. So my son was born when I was 40. And there were many mornings in those early 40s where I woke up and said, there's a reason you have kids in your 20s. <laughs> okay, so I can get where, where Sarah's coming from. And she kind of laughs a little bit and all that. And then, and then the Lord says to her, did you laugh? She goes, oh, no, 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 I didn't laugh. And it's like, yeah, you, you laughed. <laughs> so they have the meal. And then after the meal, um, they get, three men get up and they kind of look down on Sodom. And the Lord says, should we tell Abraham what's going on? And they kind of go, yeah. And then out of respect of who Abraham is, they start to tell him <clears throat> that, they are gonna, that there's going to be destruction on this land because of the evil that is down there. And then the two other men, angels, go down to Sodom, and Abraham and the Lord have this conversation. And it's pretty wild, this conversation. And Abraham goes, well, well you, you wouldn't destroy the whole place if there were 50 righteous people, would you? And he goes, no, maybe not for 50. I said, well, what, what about if there's only 45? He goes, well, I'm not sure, maybe. And what about 40? And then he keeps going, 30? 20? Gets down to 10. Lord, you wouldn't destroy it all if there's 10 righteous people down there, would you? He goes, I guess I wouldn't if there were 10. And I've thought about why is Abraham so concerned about them and here's the reason. His nephew Lot lives in Sodom. He's concerned about Lot and his family. He doesn't want to see Lot and his family caught up in what's going on in there and destroyed. He loves Lot. And Lot has, is living now in Sodom. And so we pick it up in Genesis 19. The two angels arrive in Sodom. Here's what it says. The two angels arrived in Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside so you're to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and go on your way early in the morning. Come, come into my house. I'll make you a meal. I thought about this. These two angels, this is their second free meal of the day, right? I mean, it's great. It's going to look good on their expense report that they didn't have to go. They're getting two free meals here. But it, um, and so we, they eat a meal that night. Stuff happens. You, have, you could go read it yourself. It's kind of the R-rated part of the Bible. But there's stuff going on that shows just how evil these, these cities are. Then in verse 12, it says, The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here? sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you, get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. Is there anybody else you know in the city? And he does have two, uh, two men that are engaged to his daughters. So he, he goes to them. He says, you guys come with me. And they're like, oh, they just laughed at him. That's not gonna happen. That won't happen. Verse 15. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. 
When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them to safety out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them. This is the verse that just grabbed me. Have you ever hesitated with the Lord? Have you ever known, gosh, I know what the right thing to do in this is, but I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering what caused Lot to hesitate. Was it that he just had grown so accustomed to living where he was living? Did he have a really nice house he was in? Did, was he prospering? I don't know what it was, but something caused him to hesitate. I think we hesitate all the time with the Lord. And what I love about this <laughs> is that the angels are done talking and they just grab their hands and say, let's go. They won't let him hesitate. They won't let him stay there. They grab his hands, his wife's hands, his daughter's hands, and they leave the city. And then that last line shows us the Lord's heart. For the Lord was merciful to them. Wasn't anything about who Lot was. He hadn't done anything to deserve this. This was all about God's mercy. What I love in this is that um, the Lord heard Abraham's cry for Lot in that little exchange. And then when Lot was there, the Lord's heart was opened up to him and they say, this is a merciful God. In Exodus 34, we have maybe the best picture in the Old Testament of what God's heart looks like. It's when Abraham, or it's when Moses is up getting the Ten Commandments for the second time. Um, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> he wants to see the Lord, and the Lord says, you can't look at me <clears throat> face to face. You can be in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass by. You can see my back because I'm just so glorious. But then here's what the Lord says about himself in verses six and seven of Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands or thousands of generations and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. It's an incredible picture of the heart of God. But then right after that, it says yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished and he punishes the children and their children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generations. You see, Bible scholars say that this is the most comprehensive picture of the heart of God. It starts out with them claiming his name, Yahweh, Yahweh, and then describes who he is. He's compassionate, he's gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion. It is, it's more than we can understand in some ways. And we tend to focus on what follows, the punishment, the, oh, I'm so bad. My sins will be passed on. And those, that is true of who God is, but it comes out of a heart that is so loving, 
so compassionate, so merciful, that if we could only understand God's heart for us, we would say, yes, do whatever you need to in my life to draw me to yourself. Do whatever you have to, because I can trust you. I'm reading a book right now called Gentle and Lowly. It's by an author named Dane Ortland. It's a great book. And it's part of, there's a chapter on this section. And this is what he says about Exodus 34, 6 and 7. He says, there's no termination date on my commitment to you. This is the Lord speaking to you and I. You can't get rid of my grace to you. You can't outrun my mercy. You can't evade my goodness. My heart is set on you. Lot experiences God's mercy through the angels. Abraham's plea is heard. This is the good news of the story. This is the good news of God's messengers. And so what you and I need to do in these days is this. How can I put myself in a position where I hear the good news of the Lord Jesus to me? How do I allow God's messengers, angelic and angels with skin on, to come to me and speak his truth to me? To speak enough so that I can see his heart for me and understand that for me. It's getting into the scriptures. It's knowing God's word so well that we're understanding it. It's getting to a place where I can be quiet enough to hear God's voice speak to me and what he wants to say to me out of his heart of love for me. So we're to listen for God's message to us, but we are also supposed to give that message to others. (laughs) We are called to be God's messengers with skin on. And we are able to do that when we've sat in the presence of God, experienced his heart in such a way that we can then give that to others. So I'm gonna end up this time with kind of my angel story. It's a story of an actual person who acted like an angel in my life. So it happened when I was 31 years old and I was uh, running Young Life down in the South Bay, living in Redondo Beach. I was single, 31 years old. I was actually kind of the most eligible bachelor in Young Life on the West Coast. (laughs) So you just keep getting people just try to set you up all the time. And I have a few relationships that had not worked out very well and, and, and things were not going great in that area of my life, let's say. So the area that was running Young Life for me, the people put on, a, I'd been there nine years, I was starting my 10th year, they put on a, a little surprise sort of party celebration for my time in ministry. And they invited a bunch of people to come, and so uh, I was there at the party, and one of the people that came back was a woman named Carrie. And Carrie and her husband Bill were with me and helped me start a Young Life ministry at South Torrance High School. We were together for about four or five years, then their families got real... They got more kids and got busy and stopped being a leader, but she came back for the party. And in the midst of this party that's going on, she goes, hey, Don, I've, I've got to tell you something. I go, okay, what is that? She goes, well, I've heard about your dating or non-dating life. <laughs> and um, and um, there's a, a mid-20s, really fun, 
cute, strong Christian woman who just started working at our office and I want to set you up with her. And I said, it fits, mid-20s, really cute, really fun, and strong Christian. I'm up for it. And she said, but then you know what? I prayed about it, and the Lord told me not to. (laughs) And I'm like, what do you mean the Lord told you not to? You said mid-20s, you know, fun, cute, strong Christian. Yeah, the Lord told me not to because... He has something better for you. And then a year and a half, took a year and a half, I did meet my wife, Nancy, who was better than anything would have been. But I remember walking away from that time with Carrie, going, Lord, thank you that you love me so much that you would speak to somebody else who would then speak to me this good news that you care that much about me, that you really love us that much, that you would actually speak to someone else who would speak to me. That's really good news. Let me end with this uh, scripture in Isaiah 52. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Whether it's an angel speaking those words to us, whether it is a friend or a family member speaking those words to us, we need to hear those words that our God reigns in the midst of a world that's chaotic, in the midst of the brokenness, in in the midst of all that is going on, the difficulties that we all face, the good news is that our God reigns. And our God reigns because Jesus was willing to go to the cross for you and I. That he took our sin on himself, that we might know grace and forgiveness. So I'm going to invite the worship band to come back up and we're going to take communion together. And if you've ever have wondered if God really loves you, what you need to do is take communion. Because communion is a reminder of how much God loves us. That he would give his only son for you and I. So I'll remind each of us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he had a meal with his friends. At the end of the meal, he took some bread and he broke that bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. In the same way, he took the cup and he poured the cup and he said, this is the cup in the new covenant of my blood which has been shed for you. Take and drink. As often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you remember me, you remember how much I love you. You see the heart of God opening up to you.